Welcome to episode 14 of Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. My name is uh, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, along with Tim O'Connor from the Tim O'Connor Show at uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Timothy? Good morning, good morning. It's, although you uh, could listen to this whenever. That's you, exactly. The cool thing about a podcasting, although it is morning now. Yeah, we're recording this at, in the morning, I think is what tri- Tim's trying to say. You could be listening to this in the middle of the night, as you know. You can download us uh, on iTunes, as what you, most people have been doing, and soon to be available on Google Play, which is kind of cool. Yeah, what's Google Play? You were telling me today about it. It's just Google's version of uh, iTunes. It's, um, you know, Google is all Android-based. You know, most of the phones, most people, you know, what is it about people? We, If you have an iPhone, you think everyone has an iPhone. Statistically, you know, not that many people do. More people don't have iPhones, is my point. Is this a thing, like, outside of, say, North America, my limited existence, or are we talking about Asia and stuff? or Where most people Brazil? don't have iPhones? Hey, Phil! How many North Americans have iPhones? Not that many compared to the population of, iPhone, of smartphones, right? right? There you go. Wow. That's Phil. He's uh, one of our producers. Actually, uh, we're, we're taping this for the first time, not on a weekend. Um, does it feel different? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I had to come in on the, uh, the traffic coming into Toronto. But, uh, it, of course, this monumental decision for changing it has to do with... Um, the golf season. <laughs> the golf season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing on Saturday morning. That's right. Nothing will... Uh, I, I love the note you sent me. You know, I have a group of guys that play with the Blue Springs. Is there any way we can... Yes, of course, we can change the podcast. <laughs> um, but we're dealing with important things. Exactly. And we got a lot of golf to talk about today. Tim uh, O'Connor, the performance coach at uh, Glen Abbey and available for you for, uh, for money. He was a... Uh, well, for them, I'm available for counseling. Oh, that's right. Spiritual direction. And for a fee. And curing the yips. Um, we'll talk about all of that. Our guest today is uh, not only a friend of mine and ours, but a friend of the show, and is the, uh, the gentleman behind the, uh, the fact that we now have a sponsor, which sounds cool. It does. From, he's the director of Magic. And uh, the manager of Tuned Performance at uh, TaylorMade Golf head office in Toronto, Stuart Bannantine is uh, with us. Hello, Stu. Gentlemen, how are we? We're swell. Tim celebrated a f- his birthday yesterday. Happy belated. I was I was going to say good morning, but after that uh, that opener, I think I should just say good day and be yeah. uh, be on with it, right? Cover all the bases. I like the fact that you said because we're Timmy turned fifty nine. That would be cool if that was your if this was the year you shot fifty nine. It would be. <laughs> but really it's the best time to do it, right? Absolutely, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we are talking fantasy, but that's okay. What um, I wonder what is the that would be an interesting question. You know, Stewie's been around the game a lot of time. You may not know this, but I wonder what is the average age that most golfers finally get to shoot their age, or the number of golfers that can do that. Because really, somewhere in the high seventies, you know, if you were a seventy-seven year old, could you shoot seventy-seven? Stu, that's pretty yeah. you talk. No, just it could be for anyone. What do you think? Oh, I shooting seventy-seven. That's not a big deal. But if you're 77 years old, it is. No, there's lots of 77-year-olds sure. who can, can do it. Um, you know, you keep yourself in reasonably good shape. You have a, you've had a good good game. I Yeah. I, I, 
77, that's doable for sure. I think most people listening would be like, I'll shoot my age when I get to be 105. <laughs> <laughs> the director of uh, managing director, manager of tuned performance. Uh, Stu's been around the game of golf a long time, was at Sam Houston State University. And uh, he's been a professional golfer, has a wicked golf swing, and a real good understanding about how it works. But day-to-day, what does tuned performance mean to the average guy? Well, you know, the, the simplest way to say it was we uh, it looks way cooler on a business card, and it's easier to pick up girls at the bar with, so that's yeah. kind of why we call it that. That was the, uh, that's really no wrong reason. I love but, your candor. It's just <laughs> no, to be perfectly honest with you, we, we, we take a lot of pride in our equipment, and that TaylorMade, you know, we do believe we're the best performance golf brand in the game, and we know that, you know, we can call it custom fitting, but we also know that we have the best performance product in the game, and, and we need to take that product and make it perform for each individual player, and so with the adjustability that's present on golf clubs nowadays and the opportunities that are available for players to improve their game through custom fitting, uh, we felt that, you know, calling something that, that matches up with our brand a little bit more and, and where we call it tune performance is, is our ability to help golfers take that product and make it perform even better. Yeah, tuned. Um, I like that. It speaks of harmony, speaks of things that work together really well. I mean, I think that that's something that still a lot of golfers don't, take advantage of is making sure that their equipment fits them um, to their strength, their flexibility, their game. You know, how many people do you think are really taking advantage of this opportunity now? Not enough. And, and I think when you compare it to other sports, I mean, we, we, we so uh, poorly equip ourselves to play well in golf, uh, but you would never go play hockey with skates that are three sizes too big for you or you never go you know any other sport you'd always make sure that your equipment fits you and whether it's just historically or or you know for whatever reason golfers seem to think that they can make the equipment fit them uh, as opposed to actually taking the benefit of of using the technology to assist you play better golf why is it not obvious to golfers to get fitted equipment i mean you know, if you got skates that are too big, I get the analogy, but they don't feel right, so you're not going to wear them. But if you're playing a driver that's not suited for you, how would you not be able to tell that that driver doesn't suit you? I think, you know, to, to, to think about it as bluntly as possible, the, the game of golf is one where any skill level can accomplish, you know, the highest highs and the lowest lows. And, you know, you can put any player in the world against any player in the world, and, and that one shot could be, you know, the the... 20 handicap could beat the best player in the world on any given hole if they hit the right shot at the right time. And I don't think there's many other sports that are like that. So we always hear players that say, oh, I hit the golf ball this far because they've done it one time. Uh, You know, or or I shoot, you know, my best score ever. I had someone tell me that yesterday. My best score ever was X, Y, or Z. But, you know, that completely... It doesn't take into account what you shoot on average. And for whatever reason, I just think players in golf, they, they see something happen one time and they assume that it's possible all the time. So then that's the old arrow and Indian adage where people blame you know themselves as opposed to blaming the product because, well, if I've done it once, I should be able to do it every time. You know, it's funny. I was going to say this to Tim before uh, we started today uh, about... And it's, a, it's a just something to throw out there. I mean, a lot of the time we spend on this show is talking about the mental side of golf. But there's, a, a, I think, a conversation to be had to include all things golf as well. Because we're, we're guys that have conversations with our buddies and groups. I'm, what I'm referring to the fact is what, what Tim just asked you about why wouldn't more people take advantage of getting club fit 
is it's surprising because we all assume that if you want to play golf at the highest level or a, the highest level you can, you would avail yourself of TaylorMade or Stu or somebody to fit you properly. But, you know, the majority of guys playing and a very good amount of the guys listening, it would never occur to them to buy anything but stuff off the rack. Mm-hmm. When I think the biggest change, do you know what I'm saying about the, the show doesn't just have to be about how do golf clubs help your mental performance? I mean, <laughs> they, they will. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that if you feel good, if you know that you've gotten the most out of these golf clubs in terms of preparing to play, that would definitely have a, an effect on your... Your confidence in them, yes, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Stu, you take it. Well, exactly right. I mean, every player, you know, you see it on the PGA Tour. If a guy, you know, his luggage gets lost on his way to an event, and he can't get exactly the same golf clubs, a backup set, something else made for him that's exactly the same, he's not going to play. He's going to withdraw. And the reason is, is they know that they're not going into, you know, competition feeling as confident in what they have because the equipment's a major part of it. And, you know, even looking down, I mean, Howard, when we've worked together in the lab, and, and Tim, I know you've gone through the lab as well, you know, you leave that lab feeling that you have the right equipment, which is a major confidence boost. And you look down at a driver knowing that it's going to do what it's supposed to do, or you know how far you're going to hit your 7-iron. And all of those things are massively impactful on the mental game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I view it as just the comfort level that you have as you stand over a shot. And just the way it looks, just the way it feels in your hand, just the sensation you have in your in your body, um, that to me is as important as anything else in golf, is that you've got to feel comfortable, athletic, ready to give it a rip. All, all systems kind of have to be go. But when your equipment's not right for you and you feel slightly out of balance, a club maybe feels too heavy, you might not even be Mm -hmm. conscious of it. You might not know why there's one club in your bag you always have trouble hitting. Um, Why don't you answer what uh, Tim says? That's something else. I I remember somebody saying to me last year just made me laugh. But what would you say to Tim as far as the confidence of having, like, clubs that you know are, are fit for you? There's no question, absolutely no question that, you know, fitted golf clubs not only will help it, you know, the product perform better, the equipment perform better, but it helps the player feel better. And they're going into the golf, you know, the game knowing that they have the right product for them is a massive mental boost. So I'm playing with this guy last summer, really nice guy. He's like a 22 handicap, and we're playing. He's hitting, you know, 22 handicap shots until about the 14th or 15th hole. He hit his 7-iron, and he hit it great, you know. Boom, he hits it nice, and he says to me, he said, uh, I, I said, good shot. He goes, yeah, it's my 7-iron. I go, yeah. He go, I, I said, you like that? He goes, yeah, it's my favorite club. Yep. And isn't it funny? Most, you know, I, as I said to you when I told you that story in person, Stu, he said, it's something I never hear anybody in my group say, that that's my favorite club. Because, you know, most of us can sort of hit most of the clubs through the bag. <laughs> but why is the 7-iron such a uh, comfort club for most guys? The seven iron is the middle club. You know, when you when you go to a demo day, oftentimes you're going to get handed a seven iron when you try something new. Absolutely. It's a club that people just feel comfortable with when they when they pick it up because it's not overly short, it's not overly long. Uh, it kind of falls in the middle part of the set, truthfully, and I think that's where a lot of the confidence comes from with it. So. You know, it's a, to your point, Howard. I mean, it's hilarious when you when you see someone even a little deeper that they have different swings for different golf clubs. 
you know, imagine how hard the game is already, and imagine you had to factor in that, you know, you had an eight-iron swing or a three-iron swing or a pitching wedge swing, and you know, I'm trying to remember 14 different golf swings when you're actually out on the golf course, too, and, you know, it sounds crazy, but, you know, you see it all the time. You give a player a golf club, and they look at the bottom to see what number it is mm-hmm. so that they can put that swing on the golf ball, which is... Yeah. You know, I played the game a long time and <laughs> far too high level for my thinking, that's for sure. But it is interesting that um, there's a different swing with the driver than with irons. I mean, with totally. you want to be hitting, well, you can speak to this a little bit more, but my sense is you, with a driver, you want to be hitting up. You want to be launching yep. that thing. Whereas, obviously, with an iron, you want to be hitting down on the ball, hit ball first, then turf. Absolutely. And and that is and you know, why the is that? Why don't you just, just explain that? Um, Basically, it has to do with with characteristics of ball flight. So when we're trying to hit up on the driver, what we're trying to do is truthfully launch the ball as high as possible with the most minimal amount of spin. Um, It's the only club that, that truthfully maximum distance is a goal. Uh, you know, when we fit someone for a driver, you know, the, the goal is to get them to hit it as far as they possibly can. It's not to necessarily fit a particular gap because if you gain someone 30 yards in distance on their driver, that's a great benefit. No one's going to complain about that. If you gain someone 30 yards on their seven iron or their rescue right. club, that throws their whole bag out of whack. So the driver being, you know, a, a club that we're trying to produce the most distance basically every time we hit it, um, it does require a different swing and it's also the, you know, going to be teed up considerably higher than anything else in the bag and the technology as a as a distance creator benefits from more of an upward angle of attack or an upward pass in the swing to reduce the spin and launch the ball high it's interesting we're talking about how people are comfortable with their seven iron or a six iron and it sort of speaks to why bryson dechambeau Hmm. my new favorite golfer um I love Bryson. I love the whole idea of being the contrarian, doing something different. I think he's going to be great for the game. I think he's going to be somebody of interest, aside from the Ricky, Rory, Jordan, Jason Day, you know, super studs of golf. This Bryson is going to be interesting. And why has he made his set basically all the length of a six iron? You know, the uh, the most... I think the most impactful part of that was uh, I read something he was talking about or was an interview that he was doing, and he, he made mention of the fact that with a single-length set of golf clubs, every single swing he makes is practicing every single club in his bag. And, and I thought that was such a neat way to put it. But, you know, he has a very mechanical approach to the game from a uh, from his physics background and, and his golfing machine background, which that's probably a whole conversation for another show. But, um, yeah. you know, the Homer Kelly golfing machine idea of being able to keep the golf club on a single plane, what he found was, you know, at that length and, and a significantly more upright line goal than you'd ever see on just about anyone's golf clubs. His golf clubs would be almost 10 degrees upright from a seven iron perspective uh he was able to swing the golf club with very minimal plane change very minimal shift and effectively um take what mo norman took in the you know in the early part of uh obviously through his career of creating a a very single plane axis uh, and and run with it through the entire bag and you know it's amazing to see the level that the guy's been able to play at and uh for all the fitters in the world, heaven forbid, when he picks off his first win, we're going to have uh, a significant number of well, questions about oh, single yeah. golf clubs come our way. You know, Stu, I'm here in the studio with a, a well-known author of some pretty cool golf books, The Feeling of Greatness, The Mo mm-hmm. Norman Story, that's Tim O'Connor, also mm-hmm. The Single Plane Swing, Todd uh, Graves. Yes, yep. and Tim O'Connor. Tim O'Connor, another <laughs> book he's written. I'm curious. I have a question for uh, amateur club fitter Tim O'Connor. Um, 
because of those, I mean, because of Mo Norman and his the success of his action and your work on the single plane swing, do you not see that this Bryson guy, golfing machine aside, might be onto something? More upright plane, more upright clubs. What do you think of that? I can't speak too much to the clubs because I just I just don't have the back, and I frankly don't care that much about about gear um, in terms of like specifics and kick points and all that stuff. I think the key piece is Stu. I care. Single plane. <laughs> <laughs> we're, t- we're talking to cl- master club fitter Stu Benjamin. Stu, for me, I, Howard cares, not Tim. Anyways, you know, you're, I know what your point is. It's not but, something you get into. But what I, about the idea of the upright swing? It's more to me the key piece is the single plane swing. Yes, and what why that I think really work can work for a lot of amateurs who haven't tried it is because you have least degree of compromise. You don't have you has it has the least amount of moving parts. The key piece is is that in a traditional golf swing your <clears throat> your hands and arms basically hang below your shoulders, and so where the club shaft is at address is below the line of impact. Um, so to hit the ball at impact, you have to raise your arms and your hands to get there. So on a single-plane swing, the difference is with Mo and Bryson DeChambeau is that they're starting with their arms, hands, and club shaft on the same plane. As impact. As impact. Interesting. And so there's much less... Um, Margin and... Uh, again, well, I, I was going to say for the average player who can't groove the sort of two-plane... Because that drop inside is what, and not to get too technical, but the drop inside on the downswing is the thing that has eluded a high handicap player for as long as they've been playing golf. If you read the five fundamentals or Hogan's five lessons of golf, that move where the, the right arm basically shallows and drops is the thing that most guys find hardest to do. Is that not right, Stewie? Totally. Totally. And, you know, it's interesting to point out as well. I mean, Mo was incredibly flat in his approach to the game and, you know, arms outstretched away from his body. And, and as Tim said, I mean, creating a single plane actually with his arms away from his shoulders, where Bryson's much more upright, but it's, it's basically opposite ends of the spectrum to comp- accomplish the same thing. Align everything in the same position at impact and, and make it with a single plane action. So it's a, it's a very interesting premise, but one that, you know, for Bryson, I think his speed is why he's able to do it effectively. I think with, with Mo's approach to it being a slightly flatter move, uh, well, a much flatter move, truthfully, uh, it would be better for the average player more along those lines. I mean, I think Bryson's able to create so much speed on an upright plane that he can create the distance spacing that he needs in his bag. That's one thing I, think it's, I was going to say. One of the things that Bryson's doing differently than Mo is that Bryson is bombing it. I know people like to say, oh, Mo was longer than you think, but he wasn't. He wasn't, a, he wasn't long by most tour standards, whereas Bryson DeChambeau has got big bomber potential. Yeah, but Mo hit it far, Mo hit it far enough. I far mean, enough. For, you know, today, would he be able to compete with uh, you know, Jason Day and Fowler who hitting at 310? Well, maybe not, but Mo hit it so solid. For sure. He hit it far enough. Well, my my point is, enough. a lot of uh, single-playing guys aren't. It, it it's definitely not the thing so much for distance as it is for accuracy. Right. And Bryson, you know, Bryson's even said that he has his, his crank swing or whatever he calls it, where he actually does double shift it um, and will actually rev it up, you know, another 10 or 12 miles an hour, he says, to sort of get him into that bomber territory. He actually can, you know, 
incorporated his move and knows his golf swing so well that he will drop it a little bit more in and torch it comparative to sort of his fairway finder with mm-hmm. his more upright swing. So it, I agree with you. I mean, I think from an accuracy component, it, it's a uh, it's a tremendous method. Is it the fastest? It probably isn't. But, you know, as, as Tim, you said, creating the adequate speed to play the, go- the game you need to uh, obviously is a, is a key tenant of it all. So. We're talking to uh, Stuart Banatine, uh, and, uh, you know, let's full disclosure, you know, Stu uh, has been a friend of ours and, and has helped me out a lot, and uh, I got to know Stu, and, and we suggested we do a little sponsorship, and we love having the fact that TaylorMade Adidas is now something we can say. It gives us some cool credibility. Timmy, of course, part of the staff at uh, Glen Abbey, so you play a lot of TaylorMade stuff. You know, it's funny. I was going through the fitting the other day, and, you know, most of my club, uh, you know, I've got so much TaylorMade product anyway. You know, from hanging around with, you know, Stu and Sean Case. And I just, I, I actually like it. In fact, it's funny. Uh, Stu, you should tell the story of how excited I got when I got to have the M1 in advance because I, I won this golf club, basically. And Stewie, we did the fitting before it was really available, but I didn't want to give him the demo back. Because <laughs> it was just, I, it was ridiculous how much further I was hitting it. Like, it really is what it says it's going to do. You will hit it farther. No question. No question. It's been uh, it's been exciting, and and the whole product line, right from you know the driver right down through to the new the new concept of our putters is it's this line is so tight, it's so good, and and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, the M1 offers us an ability to personalize the driver to a player's needs, like yours, Howard, where we we took it and really worked on it to make sure that we got the best performance out of it. And then for that player that wants maybe something that they can bomb a little bit more, they want to grab and swing, and they don't need maybe the same kind of fine-tuning, now we have the opportunity with the M2 to use that little bit more kind of maximized performance from the M2 family. So the line is so tight. It's so, you know, solid top to bottom. There's Everything's a premier product. There's no, you know, first or second tier product. Everything is just unbelievable. And, and then the best part is is the stuff that we say it should do, uh, it, it's doing. And that's, uh, that's, that's obviously great as a fitter to, to know that your product's going to live up to what we expect it to. What's the technology story? I mean, the, the key thing about the M1 is it's a, like, wow, there's been, you know, the drivers have pretty well kind of maxed out for a while. Uh, titanium is still the, the material of choice. Um, you are restricted in terms of um, of core uh, in terms of the spring effect and all that, mm-hmm. but what's the it, briefly? What's the technology story that allowed uh, the M1 to just hit the dang thing that much further? Well, we go back to that maximum distance component of basically creating high launch and low spin. Uh, we can look at it at any level. If you create a, a higher launch angle and a lower spin rate, the ball will go farther. And so with the driver, you know, we talk about titanium being the choice metal. Um, most of the driver is titanium, but we actually took out about 25 grams of that titanium and replaced oh. it with about 12 grams of composite uh, graphite. So the carbon composite and the crown of the driver allows us to redistribute weight that we saved from taking that crown off, putting it in lower, putting it in a a situation that allows us to create a more forward and low center of gravity on the M1, but a much lower center of gravity on, on all the products. And what that's giving us is an ability to launch the golf ball higher, 
create less spin, but also maximize the ball speed. So really where, you know, you've always had a trade-off. You've always had, you know, you might have a low CG, but you're going to have a high center of gravity, or you've always had a little bit of the trade-offs. And by using this carbon composite technology, we've been able to reposition, you know, all the weight where we want it to be. We need to put the sweet spot in the right spot, put the center of gravity in the right spot, and create the best performing product that we've ever created. Well, I was on the range with you and a few other guys, and I remember the other guys were trying the club at the same time. And it, it's almost like that commercial, you know, where the tour player, whether it's Jason Day or somebody, hits it, and they laugh out loud because it's gone way further than they thought it was supposed to. And that's what that range session was, because there was two guys behind me, and I'd already hit it a little bit. But they were practically giddy with how much further the ball was going. Crazy! It's the first day out, uh, September eighth or whatever it was, when when the driver we were allowed to fit it. Yeah, um, we averaged an eighteen yard distance gain over the Yikes. four people that got fit at Glen Abbey that day, and they all had fairly current product. That was the most amazing thing. It wasn't you know ill fitted old technology. No, These they didn't go from like a hickory shaft. <laughs> They were going from some pretty good clubs. They were they weren't hitting featheries. No, no, it was it was wild. And you know we've seen it. We've seen uh, uh, John. You know, very very good player. He's a one of the PGA of Canada's best uh, players over fifty in the country. Um, he's using another manufacturer's driver. Was you know fitted obviously very well. Came in and and said something about that M one. He says every time I see guys hit it, it's it's stupid. And we got him into the driver, and then all of a sudden his you know his mind he's so knowledgeable made a little change and he was averaging 29 yards longer with with the m1 over his other uh, his previous driver um it, it was wild to see i mean it's we've seen it and and it's changed the way people have thought about how they're going to hit their driver mm-hmm. it changes obviously the confidence and then you know you you look at it such a high pickup rate on tour i uh, just heard today uh, there's a there's a unnamed PGA Tour player contractually. I can't say exactly who that is, but if you watch golf today, it'll be very noticeable um, the major champion who's playing our driver this week uh, because it was significantly, you know, to the tune of, of you know, significant yardage better than, than the driver that he was playing up until this week. So hard to, you know, hard for a guy who has a sponsorship contract to play someone else's driver if he's sponsored by another company, but he basically took it to his uh, his sponsored, uh, the company that sponsors him, and said, I'm putting this in the bag, it's that good. Wow. And, you know, we hear that all the time. It's, wow. it's very exciting, and, you know, sometimes that's the best testament when you have someone who doesn't get paid to play your product, put it in the bag, especially at that level. You know it's you know what's working, and, and this driver, both drivers, the M1 and the M2, have been tremendous. That'll be all over the interweb. That'll won't be take really long. Interesting. Yeah. It, um, it won't take long. What difference did it make for Jason Day? Because at the Canadian Open last year, no, it was on, absurd. On Seventeen, yeah. I think his drive was three eighty. Yeah, sixty yards in. That's nuts. Yep. No, I know. Yep. What kind of he, difference did it make for him? Well, what was funny was apparently his first real testing with it was right after the PGA. And so you think about it, he finished fourth at the British, he wins the Canadian Open, he wins the PGA, you know, he goes on this tear, and then they show it to him very soon after that, and he basically said, I want to play it right away. Well, oh, he wasn't and even playing it. That's cool. That's very cool. Changes his driver after winning his first major. And yep. He's, wow. Yeah, he, we weren't, our PJ Tour staff was not allowed to use it until uh, the week of the BMW, which he won. Um, but basically, it was a, you know, embargo reasons and, you know, product release dates and all that stuff that, that we, we have to deal with in the industry. And 
he basically, as soon as we took the uh, took the reins off it and we let them play, it was it was an absolute home run. I mean, almost every single guy switched to it in the middle of the playoffs, which is crazy. Jason went out that week. He won the tournament, became the number one player in the world. Um, but he he basically said, "I hit it, you know, as solid as well as my R15 that he was playing." But he said, "I hit it about eight to ten yards longer, and you know, there's no change in in performance as far as his fear of accuracy or anything like that." He put the driver in his hands, and it was you know the same performance that he expected, plus an extra call at ten yards, and. And it was a no-brainer. So that's interesting. You, you, this is where I wanted to end on because we we obviously recommend that everybody use TaylorMade product. Uh, again, I was using I was using TaylorMade stuff before I got a chance to have you guys as a sponsor, and I had the M1 as soon as I could get it. What about somebody listening and says, "Okay, I I'll give these uh, I'll give the M1s or the PSIs, the RS. What what is the PSI and the yep. M2, M2 irons as well? Yep. Um. If somebody gets fitted this weekend and buys new clubs, when do you, do you put them in all at once? Do you recommend people just go, okay, I got a new set of clubs, or do you do three or four clubs at a time? What do you suggest? Darn right, it's like Christmas time. <laughs> no, I know, but I don't know. Well, you know, Howard, it goes back to what we were saying about the driver, and you know, when you if it's just a driver or just a putter, uh, those are products that sort of fall outside the, the gapping perspective of your golf bag. If I fit you for a putter and you start making more putts, that's a bonus. Yeah. If I fit you for a driver and you start hitting it farther and straighter than you have previously, that's a bonus. Um, when we when we fit you for the rest of the set, it gets a little tricky because if I put you in the new M2 irons and that commercial yeah. with Jason Day that was shot at the Vintage Club, mm-hmm. where he's giving them two clubs less. They said, "What'd you hit?" I hit six, okay, here's an eight iron. What'd you hit? Oh, I hit seven, here's a nine. And the reason is, is because they go that far and they go high and they go straight and they do everything you want them to do. So you have to be very careful when you fit because you have to take into account the gapping changes that are actually going to be present in the bag. Because if your irons go 15 yards farther, that could mess up your wedges. That could mess up the gapping that you have to your rescue clubs. Or that could, you know, you get new rescues and they might go farther than your fairway woods go. And so those are all things that we sort of have to take into account. So I think sometimes what we recommend is, is have a look at the full bag. Obviously everything's sold individually, so you don't have to purchase the whole set of golf clubs. But taking a look at what changes are possible, Mm-hmm. And getting a great feel for, you know, how we're going to help maximize the performance of your golf bag as much as we can from a gapping perspective, which, you know, a lot of amateurs wouldn't know how far they hit every club in the bag. And if you asked them to sort of tell you, they probably would be quite far off. And That's they probably have gaps mm-hmm. or holes in their bag that they aren't fully, you know, correctly filling. But, Stewie, so, once you have the clubs, do you recommend, okay, once they've been fit, theoretically, you should be sort of taking them to the course and start playing them right away. According to Wake, I mean, totally. once you're fit, yep. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, but I would also put aside your expectations for scoring because it's it takes an education, it takes a while mm-hmm. to learn how far you hit everything, the ball flight differences, all that kind of stuff. Well, one I thing agree I, with that 100%. One thing I did not know, I mean, with the driver technology, the way it's been with TaylorMade, the fact that you were able to move the weight around for me brought my spin rate down, and that and that made a huge difference in how far I hit the ball. What I did not understand, <clears throat> pardon me until this week, and I was telling some buddies yesterday, I said, I didn't really think about the idea that you could bring spin rate down with an iron to also maximize mm-hmm. ball flight and distance. Yep. Because we did it. We were just fooling around, Stuart and I, and he kept handing me different shafts and different lie angles, and all of a sudden my spin with a 7-iron came down pretty significant, three or 400 RPM. 
Like, I, I had no idea you could do that. But everyone thinks well, that they want their irons to be spinning like crazy so the ball hits the green. So help help uh, Howard's question, but also I think a lot of people are going, what? I thought you want your irons to spin a lot. And that's the and that's the key. I mean, the golf ball launches based on ball speed, launch angles, and spin rates. And for every club in our golf bag, there's an optimal window that we want those to be. And so, Howard, in your case, what we were seeing was you weren't achieving you know the optimal ball flight that you should because your launch angle was a little high and your spin rate was a little high. And so, when we have both high launch and high spin, what we're going to see is a a reduced performance in a distance perspective, but potentially also a reduced performance in accuracy because if the ball's got too much spin on it, there's a potential that it can get knocked around in the wind a little bit. There's a potential that it can be uncontrollable when it hits the green or, you know, very, very um, wide ranges of downwind performance versus into the wind performance. So we weren't necessarily trying to lower your spin. Um, We were just trying to optimize your launch conditions. And so you know, just like we do with the driver where we're trying to get the highest launch and the lowest spin to produce the most distance, with irons, we have a range we want to see them in for maximum performance. And we got you into a much more correct range, which for you, increased distance. Um, for some players, we might actually reduce distance to, Tim, your point, get the golf ball to stop correctly on the green. So it's a, it's an interesting science, and that's why the importance of, of getting fit is, is so high because we have to always make the determination a slow-swinging player is going to stop the golf ball on the green fast because of angle of descent and trajectory. They're not going to be able to spin the golf ball enough to stop it even at, you know, at the best of times. And if they do, that's going to come at a significant loss of distance, which is going to be more detrimental than the increase in spin. Mm -hmm. So we always have to take a look at each individual player and understand their need um, as, you know, where they rank and as far as the position toward optimization. Once we get them there, then we can make the decision as to whether we need to increase spin or decrease spin or raise launch or decrease launch and, and you know, make sure we get them into the right ball flight. We want a 7-iron to fly like a 7-iron and a yeah. driver to fly like a driver. Well, one of the, you know, beyond the advantage of having fitted clubs, it's such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. I got fitted um, over the winter at the fitting center at uh, the Club Link Academy at Glen Abbey, and I think it was, I don't know, it seemed like about an hour and a half or two and it was so so interesting. Mm-hmm. It was just um, fascinating just to see the difference in ball flight and and working with Kieran there. Uh, man, that guy is skilled. And yep. it's just a very very cool experience. You learn a lot about your golf swing. Um, one of the things that they went with me was a little a one degree flatter, um, and I could see the impact immediately. On, on the ball flight mm-hmm. because because of the traces, if you will, on the simulator. So, I don't know. That's just my ham-handed way of saying it. it's such a cool experience, too. And it really is. It, it's such a, you know, I always say the best testament that I could give it is that if, if I wasn't working here, I'd still come here and get fit. Uh, and I think the experience using the 3D motion capture that we do and then having every shaft and every head and everything you could possibly need to see the changes, uh, you get to see them right in front of you, you get to see the impact, and, you know, ultimately you get to see how, you know, beneficial it can be to your game. Howard, you were the same way. I mean, we flattened out your line goals on the golf balls or on the golf club and immediately better strikes, better feel, better performance. It's, uh, you know, it's an amazing experience to go through because sometimes you find things you didn't even know were possible, and, yeah. and that's a really, really key part of it. Well, there he is, ladies and gentlemen, the director of Magic and uh, manager of Tuned Performance for TaylorMade Adidas. He's Stu Banantine, and uh, he's a wonderful person. And uh, give my best to Cam, our best to... Our, it's, it's Macintosh, right? 
What's Cameron's Who's last that? name? Jacobs. Jacobs. Who's Cameron yeah. McIntosh? That's a really good question. All right. I think he sells uh, shoes with a brogue accent. Uh, Cameron uh, Jacobs, he's a good guy over there at TaylorMade. Thank you very much, Stewie. And uh, this won't be the last time we have you on. Uh, I and, appreciate uh, me back. Yeah, man. Th- we appreciate you being part yeah, of the thanks, TaylorMade man. Adidas magic. Very happy to be. All right, man. All right, gentlemen. Take this care. Stewie. Very thanks good job. I think I'm going to take that handle. I think now on Swing Thoughts, I'm the director of magic. Okay. I just that's that's you can have it, man. That's a you know cool why? Because I got a, I got an endless reservoir of that stuff. That won't be the last thing I say. Um, you can have it. You're the director of magic. I'll just be the director of uh, I don't know whatever. I'm going to talk about something. Operations. You know, one thing he said, and it's true. And this is getting getting back to the mental part of golf. Although, are you cool with that? I think we should talk about some other stuff. For instance, there's a story in the news. Uh, about a particular female golfer. And by the time guys download this show, it'll be all over uh, social media. And her name is Paige... Spiranak. Yeah. I've read about her. Because you asked me this morning if I'd seen the cover of Golf Digest. I hadn't. But I've read lots about Paige. There's lots of backlash against her because she happens to be incredibly attractive. And the LPGA, of course, wants to promote their brand. She's not the best golfer uh, out there. And it won't be the first time that a really good-looking girl, Natalie Gulbis... That type um, was promoted to try and get people's attention to their brand. Mm-hmm. But what is the backlash going to be? Well, the backlash is, is that she's she was like an average college mm-hmm. golfer at most. And that uh, the reason she's um, on the cover of Golf Digest, and she's in so many of their videos. Uh, she does uh, swing instruction videos. Because mm-hmm. uh, she is a hot number. Oh, she's a smoke show, my friend. Yes, yeah, smoke show. I just learned that today. Spiranak. Yeah. Her Paige name. Spiranak. Yeah, and I'm, I've, I have done some research on her before, I must say. Research. Yes. So I've done extensive page research. No, and you she, were leering at her. I was beyond leering. Um, let's yeah, ma- she's let's something maintain, else. Let's maintain that family approval rating for Swing Thoughts. Um, well, you don't think that you know young people will look at her picture? Believe me, every guy listening that's heard of her or now hears of her is going to do a, a search of her. And that's why she's on the cover of Golf Digest. Is that they're um, <laughs> they're going they're trying to draw in um, you know they're they're not idiots. They know no, they, they have a brand to promote. Well, yeah, and they're they're going to do it with a hot babe. And uh, so I understand why the LPJ Tour and players would be uh, you know upset about this because it's like uh, Julie Inkster was saying today. Uh, well, she's quoted in uh, jeffshackelford.com mm-hmm. saying, well, how come Lydia Ko isn't on the cover? And I get it. You know? Sure. Um, but I, you know, looking at it in that mercenary fashion, Golf Digest is trying to sell magazines, and it isn't the best time for trying to sell golf magazines today. Well, so, not only that, so but they're going to do what they can. Golf in general, uh, hot babe and leering aside, um, Golf in general needs to get younger people, men and women, but in this particular case, it's the same demographic that Hollywood is trying to get with superhero movies. It's oh, like, yeah. you know, the reason that, you know, Batman versus, you know, Superman, which, by the way, it wasn't a very good movie, but it's <laughs> the best example I can give you. The reason they make that isn't for 59 and 56-year-old guys, although I, I happen to like those kind of movies. They're making it for a demographic of 15 to 22-year-old males. So Paige Spiranek is the same thing. It's like, how do you get young guys involved and interested in golf? 
this is uh, obviously way far afield from why the LPGA would be upset because their thinking is we want to get you know young wholesome people involved in our sport. Yeah, we get it, but this is a pretty good brand ambassador. I I I get it. I get it. But I do understand why a lot of women and a lot of men too would think. You know what? It's just basically sexism. Yeah. Most of the guys get thrown on the cover of Golf Digest. Uh, I don't think Phil Mickelson is particularly dashing. You don't think he's a hot babe? He's pretty. He's pretty <laughs> lumpy. Um, um. So there's still, unfortunately, I think this um, this kind of double standard to some degree. And uh, so, you know, I, I kind of roll my eyes at it. Um. But uh, I, I can see why people would be upset. But you you vote with your wallet, and uh, or you know don't go to that website if you don't like it. Don't mm-hmm. buy the magazine. That's your choice. Okay, I don't think uh, suggesting that uh, people research page what's uh, her face Spiranak. I might even be saying it wrong. We no. could be both. I don't think that's uh, going to compromise our family rating. No, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe a different family than me. But it was way they were interacting. Well, never mind. Um, anyway, uh, interesting thing about something was brought up talking to Stu that I think is a valuable in terms of the mental game, which is most golfers have no idea. I shouldn't say no idea. Aren't really sure or certain of of the the distances for each club they use. Even better players have a range. That they'll that their club selection exists in. Here's my question, and well, this came up recently talking to some players that you know are all good players. You know, I played with a couple guys the other day. One guy's a plus one, and the other guy's a one. And me, I'm a one and a half or whatever I am. So these are like these aren't just good players. These, these are, are really good excellent players. players. These and, are like top of the of the of the top. So we're all talking about distance and what we hit our clubs, <laughs> and um. It's almost like we're very familiar with our distances, but one of the things that's universal amongst better players is that we tend to, we don't underclub ourselves. So why is, and maybe that's a question that you might want to talk about, when you, meet, when you have higher handicap players, that they're, 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 they overextend what they think they can hit the, the ball with that club, and the problem is it's just a never-ending, results are always short, and, you know, not what they think. You know what I mean? They're, they're usually, there's an old saying, one of the million sayings in golf, is that, you know, good players miss it long. Well, that, that is true. I think it tends to speak to the aspirational part of a golf, of a lot of golfers, and that they're always working on their game. Basically, they come at it that their game's always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, if really, if they could spend, you're talking about players who like want to score. They really do want to score better, not just out to have a nice round with their buddies or corporate golf. There's a real, there's a, there's a golfer who, I mean, he's always working on his game. And when he goes to the course, he's still going with an expectation that he's going to play at a certain level, he's going to score a certain way, and that this swing is finally going to come to fruition to the degree that he's been working on. And he's been working on this move, and it's finally going to click in. And, <laughs> and, but I think there's always, this, there's always this kind of tendency, expectation, hope that he's going to hit the pure shot. And it's gonna, it's, it's just gonna come off the club and streak to the flag and be perfect. And I, and I think that a lot of golfers play that way. It, it's with a lot of. Hope they, they play that, based on hope and aspiration of the 
what would happen if I hit this ball perfectly? Right. So when you talk about good players, good players get there because they do a lot of things. They, they, They work on their game. They hit a lot of balls, but they don't necessarily hit balls always fixated on mechanics. But they do a lot of little things correctly. They know how far they hit shots they they practice on the range so they know how to hit a wedge 40 yards 50 yards 60 yards 70 yards they've done that work and that's why they're good players i think a lot of uh, guys um are afraid of hitting a shot with a club that doesn't isn't commiserate with them them as guys or 100 you know it's like you know, one of the dumbest things I think you can ask me or I can ask any golfer is, what'd you hit? What'd you hit there? Unless it's, like, you know, my buddy Tim, other buddy Tim. I have several buddies. Um, I know. I have lots of guys in my life named Sean. Yeah. Um, but my point is, he and I play a lot together. So I know what we normally hit. <laughs> so if he hits, if I might ask him. We're, you know, we play enough golf together. I could say, what was that? And I could probably guess what it was, but I'm gauging, and I think we all have friends like this, I can gauge what I need to hit versus what he hit based on the wind, the line, all that stuff. But I'm not afraid if you ask me, well, you know, that was 161. If you, I'm not afraid to say that was a five iron, you know, because you don't know how I choked it down. I played Absolutely. it cut. I, I wanted it to, to miss it longer. I got no problem with that. I just care where it ends up. But a lot of golfers, I think, don't like to reveal that, you know, they hit their eight iron shorter than you might. But it's absurd. It doesn't matter. Like I always say, I've got a range distance and I got a golf course distance. Yep. Like I can hit my seven iron on the range a ridiculously long way. I wouldn't hit it like that on the golf course unless the circumstances called for it. Flyer lie, downwind, whatever. No no da- no no uh, danger. No jail just or but but yeah. just knowing that it's gonna fly and it's you know, the wind's behind me. But most guys don't have that. They, they just have this aspirational idea of how long it's supposed to go, and damn it, I'm hitting eight iron. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I th- and this is a theme that uh, we've talked about a few times, is that's the concern about how they're going to be judged by the other right. guys with them. But it's more, it's not so much what the other people are going to judge them, it's how they perceive actually themselves in many ways. And that if I don't hit it as far as Bill in my group, then I'm somehow inadequate or there's mm-hmm. something wrong with my swing or, you know, I'm not strong enough or I don't go for it. And um, it's just a, th- a crazy, stupid thing that happens. Uh, you know, I it'd be interesting. We should get, I'd, I'd like to get some really good women players in here to talk about that type of thing um, so I can learn more about that, quite frankly. But there is this piece, and, and that's why it took so long for hybrids to come into this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, for years and years, hybrids were out. Uh, it'd be interesting to ask Stu about that. But there was such resistance to it because cause, cause a lot of guys said, no, I've, uh, you know, I've got a 2R and a 3R in my bag. I'm not putting a hybrid in. It wasn't until ter- they saw PJ Tour pros mm-hmm. playing hybrids so they went, "Oh, it's okay. It's not. It's I'm, I'm not girly to play a hybrid." 100. percent And the same thing um, with. Jeez, uh, I lost my train of thought. But anyways, uh, you want to ask some girls some questions? You want to get Stu in here? Get you think Paige. my name's Sean Let's somehow? Get Paige in here. She's a good player. She is a good player. I'm looking at her setup right now, and I'm going to tell you right. I'm going to say this. If you see her set up over a golf ball, my headphones off. <laughs> she, you will like it. Um, well, I don't know where you were going, but what I would say is uh, this. Um, 
most guys, if they really knew the speed at which their three-wood swing and their driver swing, it most, and I've said this for a long time, even before I knew, you know, a guy like Stu who really has educated me on a lot of stuff about golf ball playing and spin. But even before that, what did you just do? This, this, I, I feel like I'm, I'm being. He, I, what, what happened was Tim just took this halogen light that's, that hangs over the Tim position in the studio, and he just turned it at my eyes. So I was like, "Is he about? Is he giving me a signal? Is this a?" You can just turn it off if you want. All right, I, I just um, feel like I'm under the heat lamp. Here. Most guys, my older brothers included, and I've said this to guys that I play with it in the 2018, 15 to 25 handicap. I said, you know, they've done studies. This goes to your point about being macho and too girly to play hybrids or whatever. But they've done studies, and the average player would hit their three-wood further yep. because of launch angle, center hits. You even see with PGA Tour players, when they want to turn something over, they hit three-wood. Always. But, but it's not so much they can't turn a driver over. It just is an easier club to do it. But if, if you could get your swing speed, the average you know driver speed for a high handicap player is probably in the early 90s, 87 to 92. Well, that's club head speed. The, the, what, you'd hit it further with your three-wood, but I guarantee you, most guys would be like, I'll just hit driver, even though it doesn't go as far as the three-wood for you because you just want to be the guy in the group who doesn't hit driver. It's just dumb. It, well, it is, it is dumb, but unfortunately, uh, it, it talks to – it's almost more of a discussion about male culture and how guys view themselves vis-a-vis other guys. Male culture in golf is, a, I think, a huge we, – we, we should do a whole uh, show about that. Because that's what this is about. It's male culture in golf. Is like I don't want to. I don't want to be the guy. I'm going to tell you. I was on the range uh, with Stu on Monday. Today's Thursday, and we were looking at some three woods, and I was hitting the M1 three wood. Now there's one that has a lower uh, spin rate, lower launch angle. I was hitting it as far as my driver. In fact, I didn't. I ended up not taking that driver or three wood because it comes off the face too hot. I'm going to tell you if you're a high handicap golfer, get it. Because you'll hit it further than your driver, and it's so much easier. And I would think for a guy who wants to play a better game, why wouldn't you just do that? Who cares what it says, three wood or one wood or whatever? Well, again, it, I think a lot of things, it just comes down to um, the schoolyard, the, the, the hockey rink, uh, wherever. Is it, you know, aren't you, aren't you going to do what everyone else is doing? Mm-hmm. No one wants to be. Well, I won't say no one. It takes a, a, a certain kind of individual who can put up with being needled, who can put up mm-hmm. jokes about them. And, and most people, most a lot of guys just don't want to have that. They want to be in a place of, of just comfort with their group. And because most guys, it's you're in a group, even a foursome, you've got... You get a certain kind of personality types together, mm-hmm. and it's a constant juggle. Who's the top dog? So when we start talking about you know uh, hockey stuff, oh, we know that uh, Bernie is the guy. And then you start talking about finance. Well, Phil is the guy. And there's just these crazy dynamics that, that go on, but so much of it comes around to how we perceive ourselves. Um, and really, a lot of it's just unconscious. Sure. And, and in the end, you sort of have to, have to ask yourself the question that Tim asks uh, his students, which is, you know, why are you playing this? What is your, what is your intention? I mean, there's, it, it's, it's so many layers of it. You know, again, back to the idea that 
you know, most guys, if it's whatever the number is, let's just say 160, and if I hit my seven, if that's kind of my seven iron, you know, uh, fly distance, and you don't, you hit a six iron, somehow it's you're worse off or you're less than me. It doesn't matter. It really only matters if you're having a great time. But in terms of the hole, it matters where that ball ends up on the green. Yeah. You know, I mentioned my friend Tim, who we got to get in here because he is a one or one one or two handicap that doesn't hit it as far as everybody in the group. Not even not even close. Lots of times hitting, you know, he'll sling a hybrid in when the rest of us are hitting fours and five irons. But he doesn't care mm-hmm. because it's he's all about his reason, one of his reasons I would say, is he wants to see how low he can score and he doesn't care how it gets there. He doesn't hit the high, you know, shot that I do. He hits this other thing that it every time he hits it, he's left handed, it's a left handed draw. You know, in fact, the joke in the group is he hits it left to right. We all go, wow, who saw that coming? Because <laughs> he never doesn't hit that shot. But, dude, it's insane how he golfs his ball around the course. It's kind of like a, a Bruce Litsky. He always has the yeah, same exactly. shot. Yeah, and so that shot's great. This is really interesting that we're talking about this on the heels of having Stewie on and talking about clubs and whatnot, is that how we approach the game we can have the right gear and everything but mm-hmm. what's going on in our what's the gear what how are the gears moving inside our minds particularly as they relate to you know old wounds and shit i mean it's really so when a guy so we're not doing the family show anymore uh well, you beeped it. The, the, I, oh, <laughs> no, no, I just want Miss calling you on it. We can't talk about a young I'm chick, but to, now you're no, swearing. swearing. Okay, just go that's ahead. A, that, that's in prime time. That word. Um, no, what? So when a guy's concerned about what shot he's going to hit, I mean, really, this to me is as is much a part of the game as any other part of it. So he's choosing a club based on maybe an old feeling that you know he's just kind of inadequate. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not quite good enough. And again, it might not be conscious, but he's just. There's this aching feeling, so he's always working against this feeling that, you know, I'm not quite just good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I need to do this to make myself look good, to make myself feel good, to and, stop abusing myself. Yeah, and that's that is a. Um, that's a that's a spiral, and that's that's a dog chasing its tail all the way around, and that's. That's as much of of the work that that golfers or anybody needs to do is deal generally with these um, shadows. Well, at least and at least recognize that you know golf can't cure that stuff. It's not going to make you a better person. I mean, you show up in golf like you show up in life. Absolutely. Uh, last weekend, I played um, with this guy. He's about to play in the U.S. Better Ball Championship uh, this next month at Winged Foot. This guy's a real player. Him and Paul Gortner are partners in this thing. And, you know, his name is John Dunlap. And, and he, he used to be a, a coach as well, a golf coach at, um, I'm trying, I think, at Guelph or... He was one of the assistants. At Cutton? Maybe. Cutton Club in Guelph? He's a real player. Um, and we were talking about this exact thing, about how f- most guys don't really play the shot that's needed. They play the shot they think they should hit. And he came up with a great phrase. I love this. Play play the miss. Like, you got to play the miss. And, and that goes to, you know, the old Hogan thing and about I only hit seven shots around. I mean, think about that. One of the best ball strikers on the planet ever Basically said, I bought seven times around. I'm actually satisfied with the shot in terms of, you know, the hit, the strike, all that stuff. The rest of it's just a series of misses. 
Well, think about that. Like, we, John and I were talking about this. Like, if I'm not feeling it with the club at that moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gear down. I'm going to play more club. Because if I miss it, which is what most of us do. Right. We're playing a series of them, them not going optimal. Right. But th- that's... That takes real awareness, and that takes um, takes being a secure person and be able to make a decision based on on you know I'm okay with whatever happens here, and and it doesn't matter what anyone thinks because you have no control over that. That's but true. But coach, I have a question: Is it secure? Because is it being a secure person, or which I would agree with? But let's say we're not secure. At least, are you secure in what you're doing this game for? So my subtext, I love being out with guys and hanging out and being with my buddies and you and being out in the world. I love being out in nature. Those are some of the reasons I play golf. But I also want to see how low I can score. So we played last Saturday, Tim and I. First shot of the season, we're playing together. Uh, Second shot of the first hole we played, I got wind into me. I got 121 yards. But it's a little bit wind, a little bit uphill. I I kind of, you know, just my second shot of the round. So I hit a shot, and it didn't sound like... I hit it. Yeah, I thought you hit a bit fat. Hit, thought I hit a little bit fat. And I said, well, not really. I just hit an 8-iron. You're like, what? I hit an 8-iron 121 yards because I just felt in that moment. Now, I normally hit my 8-iron about 150, 155. But I thought, okay, I'll choke down a little bit. And if I don't hit this perfectly, I still want to get through the wind, the uphill, and I want to be on that green. Absolutely. And I hit it to what? 12 feet. Yeah. But past the flag. Absolutely. So I was, because I was playing my miss. Yesterday, second hole, I got 155 yards, 60 yards, again, into the wind. I hit a five iron. Didn't hit it great. Missed it to about 20 feet. And it wasn't until the round got going that I started to go back up to my distances when the, call, when the shot called for it. On another hole later in the round, I hit a five iron, 190 some odd yards because it was downwind, downhill. I went, okay, this is the club. My, the point being, I don't. I'm not the most secure person, but I definitely know why I'm out there. The, one of the subtext is, what do I need to do to get this ball on the green? I don't care what the number is. That's when you're playing golf at that level. You're really playing. You know, we uh, we rip Carl Morris off all the time. He's the art yeah, we of golf. Do. In fact, we changed this name to Kevin Morris and his friends. <laughs> <laughs> Although his name is Carl. Carl. We're not quite Carl. Oh, I said, Kevin. You know what? We'll do this. When the show's over, I'll sit down and explain all the references. I I would Um, appreciate that. So, yes. So, what's happening? I just think that when you're making shots like that... You're just dialing into the to the game and really making shots, and that's where the fun is. I really think that's where it is. And there's not a lot of... of, um, I would say real thinking through, like re- like really grinding on it. It's more like just being an artist and and what's the feeling I've got here and what comes up and just kind of going with that. That is golf when it's really really fun. And that's when you're not worrying about you know. Well, I normally hit my five iron 180 yards. Well, this time you're only going to have to hit it 160. But I like that feeling. I'm going to choke down on it, or I'm going to try and cut it, or I'm going to try and, you know. I mean, again, as we spoke about. One of the sort of hallmarks of a better player is I want to be on the green. I don't care if you're you're hitting seven iron. And I played yesterday with a really good player. Uh, Klaus is his name. And, and he bombs it. He's a bomber. But you know what? Klaus hit seven iron on one shot where I hit five iron. But we were both on the green. Now, I was a little bit longer than I wanted to be. But still, I just wanted to be on the green. 
I don't care if Klaus hits seven. I would expect him to hit seven. It means nothing to me. Yeah, well, I think often it's just where where the heck don't you want to be for sure? Sure, you know. And if if the uh, if the trouble's short, well, take a little bit more. And um, you know, and it's the same with shooting for shooting for pins that are hidden behind uh, ponds and stuff like that. You've got to hit the smart shot. But um, one of the things that um, Carl Morris talked about uh, in our last show was making decisions. A lot of people make their decisions based on having their A swing. Yes. But they might have actually their most of the time we have our maybe our B swing. That's a great point. We don't know. So we have our C. Yeah. So we're making decisions based on the A swing. Versus how we feel that day. Absolutely. You know, and that's that to me was a that to me was a beautiful nugget from that uh, talk we had with Carl was on on that piece and and uh, so if you haven't listened to that show or you have listen to it again and, and get that part you know and, and, and that's a great point you make uh, as you and let's let's be fair Tim O'Connor makes some great points here's the thing I don't get all of Howard's jokes but that's every true. once in a while I'll come up with something well that's fine you don't have to get everything I say I don't Ke- take it personally Kevin Morris I like it yeah and I did get it, it, it that's it's okay. just a beat behind that's all um but you make some great points. Yesterday, I get to the, uh, it must have been the 13th or 14th hole of the round I was playing. And I hit a shot that was just way out of character. But I'd played like four or five days in a row. I was pretty tired. I'd walked a lot. And as soon as I hit it, I sort of laughed. Like I'm, it was so out of character for me, uh, especially because I'd been playing really well. I played really well yesterday. Hit the ball good. And my short game was good. But I hit this shot, and it was like it so was dis... I said was so disaffected by it because, it, first of all, I mean, none of it really meant anything. We're just playing for fun. But I didn't take it personally because the shot wasn't anything to do with me. I, I could tell as soon as I hit it, my legs were tired. It's the, like I said, fourth or fifth day in a row I've been on a golf course. And I just kind of went, oh, well, that's something you don't see every day. And I went, oh, and I even said to my buddies, I was walking, as we walked away, I just said, wow, you know, I could just feel my legs are just at that yeah. time of the afternoon and I'm a little tired. And, and all I said to myself was, okay, well, if that's going to be a thing here, you better just, you know, uh, for the next three or four holes to go, just be aware that you're going to be a little bit late with that and just, you know, know it. Now, just thinking that awareness allowed you, allows you to see it in perspective. That's what I'm trying to get at. I, I get it completely, and that is, I think, what awareness is really about is is being really. It sounds I can't think of a better way to say it, but being in touch with reality. Yes. And your reality was is that you were you were really tired, and you and you understood that. Yep. As opposed to oh god, I, I you know I rushed my swing, or I'm out of I, I I got my technique wrong again. I better go to the range and get this figured out. Yes, something's wrong with me. I can't play golf now. My swing is broken. On and on. And I'm not going to break forty on the back or whatever. whatever. Yeah. But all those things you instantly the shopping list of abuse we heap on ourselves. As opposed to just that moment of clarity where I kind of go, and I knew it because I'd been hitting it good, and that wasn't the shot. It was it was one of those ones where it wasn't it wasn't a shank, but it was a blocked high pretty, right. Oh, it was pretty, a blocky high righty weird shot that I never. I don't really hit that shot. I mean, I'll overcut stuff, but I don't hit this. But as soon as I hit it, I was like, oh, I know that feeling. Didn't didn't feel bad. Ended up making a really. Great double, like one of yeah, the yeah, sure, it was sure. awesome double. Celebrate I, a good double. Because I, I, where I hit it, it was never going to be found. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I drop another one. I hit that in the bunker, get up and down for double. It was awesome. And it was a good bunker shot. But my point is, I guess the because I felt no attachment to the poor shot, and I saw it for what it was, I was able to make the rest of the hole fine. I didn't turn it into a quad. Because I didn't, I wasn't judging myself harshly. I went, oh, shoot, that happens. And, you know, it's, you're, you're an old man. It's five days in a row. Yeah, and first week. Yeah. First week hitting it off green grass in Canada. I mean, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And that I had a similar circumstance on uh, on Monday. My son, Sean, uh, invited me out. Father-son golf. I love that. Yeah, and he paid for it. It was like. Even it was, better. It was my birthday present. So and was, his name is Sean. Yes, I have many Sean's in my life. <laughs> um, so Sean took me out, and uh, but we didn't have a lot of time. I had something to do that evening. So the point is, is that I didn't. We just got to the course um, right on the first tee. No time to stretch, hit no balls or anything like that. And so I wasn't. I was hitting the ball all over the place for about the first three or four holes. And I started to think, gosh, I'm what am I rushing around and stuff? And then I just finally went, oh. Yeah, we kind of rushed to the course, no time to limber up, mm-hmm. and and I kind of went, oh, that's what's going on. I'm just, you know, it's going to take a while to just loosen up this uh, this body and whatnot. But it didn't matter anyways, because the overall intention was just have a great time with my son, Sean, on the course, and we did. It was absolutely fabulous. Yeah, it's funny, I, you know. I think there's a, uh, and I know you have some technology around this, and, and coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to speak to these guys. Uh, their company is called Birdie.com, is that it? Birdie.com. Double three eyes in Birdie. Right. They're, and it's interesting. They're, they're, there's this technology around what is your what is par, really? Is, is par, yeah, it's the score on the whole, but you know, I started thinking about those guys and thinking about how I rate what, what I've just done. And, and what I've thought is there's, a, there's a, a, a bunch of learning around, well, okay, if your intention that day was have a great time with your son, Sean, well, you shot, that's under par. You're already, you know, you did it. You did 100%. that. You, you got under par. If your intention is to go through your, you know, mental routine and make the best decision you can, um, then you've, you're, then that's a birdie. You've made a birdie. Now, the execution part can sometimes be a par or a bogey or worse, but at least if you have that as an evaluation versus the only evaluation is I had five on the hole and I should have had four. Well, I can tell you from experience, people, it's a, a very um, hollow sh- um, sort of victory, and it doesn't it doesn't give you the satisfaction you're looking for. Where you know I've adopted this over the last few years, and most you know recently last year, where I go, okay, well, par for me on this particular day might be to have a great time and do the best I can, all that other stuff, and make sure I go through my routine the best I can, and then you evaluate that. Hey, I shoot, you know, seventy-five, or I shoot eighty-five. It doesn't really matter if I've done that part. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. I can go out on, on a limb here. Do it, my friend. Okay. And, and so, for the rest of this interview, please call me Sean. <laughs> so, for when I start working with a new client, I always do uh, the same thing, and I tell them to take uh, a pen and paper. No, first you get access to their e-transfer yeah, account. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> Is is I get them to because uh, I'm old school. Get them to get a pen or pencil, whatever, and a piece of paper, and they're going to write out at the top of the page to write why I play golf. And they just and I tell them to just write, and you don't stop and consider. You don't change words. You don't go that sucks. Cross anything out. You just start writing and writing and writing until you're done. And 
I tell you, you'll be amazed what comes out mm-hmm. about why you play golf. And it won't be the first two or three things that come down on the page. And so that's where you really become to, to um, understand why you play the game. For some people, it might be to enjoy the freedom that they had with a kid when they first played or throwing mm-hmm. a ball around or just, just the feeling of being with friends and just having a, a you know, laugh until you fall down type of stuff. It's not about shooting career scores. It's not well, about not making a fool of yourself. But as so, I told you a few minutes ago, I, I know, having been one of your students, I know I've thought can considered all those reasons why I play golf, and I know that one of the subtexts I play is to see how low I can shoot. But all those other things are also part of it. But if one of the reasons... If one of the things you write down, as I have, which is I want to score the lowest I can, then I go, okay, what will get me to that point? It's not whether I'm hitting five iron and you're hitting seven, and that's not getting me to, that's not why I play golf, so I can have the same, because it's not in the column of why I play golf. I don't, now listen, if you play golf because you want to see how far you can hit it, that's cool too. Absolutely. Then don't worry if you shoot a million, because you're going to some days, and some days you're going to be great. But if why you play golf is also... You know, freedom and all those things we talk about. But if if you want to score, then you have to say to yourself, well, on the way to scoring, I need to do these sensible things. Yes, absolutely. I need to lay up on this par five because I don't hit a three wood 280. But you can also do that exercise at different times of even the golf season. Yes. It's like a lot of people think, you know, a guy goes through his process and that it's it's rigid process that never changes. Mm-hmm. No, it could change every two weeks. Based on what what got what you have going on in your game and but how, I like how what you do. Along. I like that you start off with people like that because that that fundamental part, the basics part of why you're out there doing this every day or a lot of days in the summer that that doesn't change. I think for people, the their fundamental. I do this because. I like being around my friends in this open setting. Well, that, that's pretty universal. Or I like getting out and not talking about my job for yes. six hours. Mm-hmm. And, not, and even like being, you know, quite frankly, being away from my family. And that's okay. It's okay oh, it's to have so separation okay. from that. It's so annoying, <laughs> those people sometimes. But it's okay. I remember when I, uh, I coached hockey for a long while. And after hockey games, I remember sometimes walking out of the arena thinking, Wow, I haven't talked or thought about anything else but hockey for the last two and a half hours. That's great. And that's fabulous. And golf can be that too. But what I like about that exercise, it, it gets us, it, it comes around even to intention. Why are we out there? And it's a beautiful grounding piece mm-hmm. to when things maybe start to not go so well. If we've done that exercise and we understand why we play golf, well, sometimes it just doesn't matter what's going on. And most of the times... Quite frankly, it does not matter what you score. It's about those it's bigger pieces. It could be learning about yourself, hanging with, with uh, a friend and just having that experience, um, exercise, all kinds of different things. Um, very true. But Let's what leave I it say, on that. What I want to say is, folks, um, you know, the, the good listeners of uh, Swing Thoughts, um, why don't you do that? Take a piece of paper, or if you want to type it, sure, uh, uh, and write out why I play golf. And uh, if if you find something really interesting happens for you there, uh, send me a note to tim at o'connorgolf.ca. Um, 
and let me know uh, how that came up for you. And that could be an inter- interesting thing we sure. should talk about on the show. Uh, Stuart Banatine was our guest, the uh, manager of Tuned Performance, TaylorMade Adidas, our uh, sponsor, and the number one driver in golf for a reason. They, uh, Stu sent me a note here. He wants us to mention this number, 1-800-668-9883, extension 4. But I'll tell you what we'll do. When we put the show up, I'll... Uh, Maybe include that, and maybe we, maybe you could include that in the description. Sure. That if you want more information, give this call one eight hundred six six eight ninety eight eighty three extension four. And I would uh, just say as a caveat to why you play golf, it's okay if you play golf because you want to see how good you can be at it. Hundred percent. You just have to sort of mitigate that with. There are going to be a lot of days when whatever that expectation is you have aren't going to be met. You have to kind of enjoy all of it because we spend a lot of time doing this and it's not always exactly what we think it's you know going to be if you're only concerned with the score yeah well i've just said over and over you don't have control over score right you know i'll just tell you quickly i, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine because i have a bunch of tournaments coming up in the next month and and we're talking about i'm going to quali- try and qualify for the uh, ontario mid-am and I said to him, I said, I'm not really that concerned. If I, I, I have the ability, I mean, I could put the score together and qualify. I said, I'm not really concerned about qualifying for it. And he says, well, why is that? I said, because for me, it's just more sort of spring training. You know, I've got some goals in June and July of things that are, are more meaningful, me, meaningful to me. But I, I know if I go into that tournament, it's just another day of being a little bit nervous, being under tournament conditions. It's just more practice. So... I don't have to put a lot of, I don't have a lot of expectations. I just know that my intention on, there's a bunch of tournaments I'm playing in in May, but a few of them, my intention is just to gather experience. So it doesn't matter if I shoot 92 or or 83 or 73, because I'll know at the end of that round, okay, good. You gathered some good, you know, it's fun being nervous for the first couple of holes. That, I just wanted to jump all over that. That to me is, if, if. If part of the reason you play golf is to compete, yeah, and that that replaces you know hockey that you did as a kid or baseball or football whatever, and and now golf is your thing to compete and really get that zing and that that energy, freaking go for it. What really good players do and competitors do, they welcome those butterflies. That nervousness is what they want to have happen, right? And that is such a great feeling. A lot of people think this mental stuff is around being all blissed out and uh, yoga like. Hell no! When when I'm uh, got a good game going and I'm in a tournament and I'm you know things are going well, I'm jazzed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm excited. Well, as somebody that you know, I'm gonna I play I have played a lot of tournaments in my lifetime, and I, last summer I was probably I had I somewhere in the neighborhood of I don't know thirty or forty rounds that really counted. Um, and I my point to my friend was I haven't had I haven't played a round of golf in a long time that you know where there was some huge meaning to it in order to get ready for the ones that I do want to do well in. I want to get some, get some, get that feeling back. Cause I'll tell you, you know, teeing it up in the better ball or the, the early bird is St. Thomas or Burlington's invitation or the, uh, in the mid am qualifier, you feel different in your body oh, for absolutely. several holes. You know, we talk about, we have a joke. My buddy and I were talking about, you know, you still shaking. Yep. Cause you know, you are, you're, you're, you don't maybe physically the shake stops, uh, maybe in the first hole, but you still feel, feel nervous you feel your breath is a little bit different you're still and it takes a few holes to wear off and it takes a few rounds to be in that situation so that when the qualifiers that are the ones i really want to do well in i will have had 10 or 12 15 rounds of putting everything out everything's important and it's not again it's not about how you do in those rounds it's like 
Ah, and I'm a little more used to it now. That's it. And what you learn, what you learn that day that you can take into your next round. Right. And, and that's why, you know, we always talk about the club championship. You know, it's always filled with guys on the range for the week before. <laughs> and they always play horribly. But you know what? With good reason. If you, that's the only tournament you play in all year where you're counting every shot, it's tough, man. And you're putting it out. You're putting it out, and you feel weird, and, you know, you make, you make zillions. You know, you miss eight-inch putts. <laughs> No, this stuff, we should just do a show on Club C Disasters. We should. Dude, you're talking to a guy that for three oh, years. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. first did, of, did. I did nine holes and went to my car, Tim. I played the one club championship. I played nine holes and was so <laughs> disturbed by well, you it. You know what? I'm just getting this. I got, we, well, sorry. Yeah, I went story. to the car. Oh. <laughs> that's how ridiculous <laughs> I was. So when we talk about, I'm, I might be the worst golfer in terms of mental performance that anyone's see, ever met. I can see it now. The V1 thing. So you know when they put your swing up, and there's, there's <laughs> Tiger, and then there's That's you. Right. So we'll put up Howard on the left side, and Ernie Els. And Ernie Els, six putts, and he goes to the second tee. Right. Howard heads to the parking lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if that's me, if I six putt the first hole of the club championship <laughs> in 1994, there's no second hole. I'm literally going to my car from there. There were many rounds when I was a, when I was a uh, what we'll call it, what am I? I'm in recovery is what I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm a recovering uh, crazy golfer. But when in my worst years... There were there were no point on the golf course or in a round that I wouldn't quit. I would play a despite, great despite the long walk. It, would, it doesn't matter. I would there was there was I've quit on every hole of that golf course. Um, more and some of them more than once. Did no one do an intervention with you or anything? I think that? they just sort of shook their heads and went, "That guy's crazy." I was one of those guys. How many that, friends did you actually have? I had lots course. of good. I, here's the thing: I had lots of friends. I was oh, a nice you're, person. Well, you're funny. And I'm funny, and I but and I never did. You know, one of the things that my buddy Sean Casey said, because he's seen me be angry, he said, "You're never you're never anything but fun to play with, but you're angry at yourself." Oh yeah, and uh, that's what I was like. I never disturbed anyone else's round. I just would get to thirteen and go, "I've had enough," and walk in. Yeah, but what about that <laughs> smoke coming out of your ears? Oh yeah. But, you know, I was never, uh, I tried to keep that, you know, internal. My point is, I've quit in, 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 quit in, in competition. You've quit quitting. So when somebody's listening going, yeah, well, uh, you know, it's easy for you to say because you, you play tournament golf well now. But it took a long time. It took, it took a lot of stuff to get me to the point where I know there's an infinite number of bad shots I could hit or numbers I could shoot that would, and it would never stop. It would never, it doesn't bother me the same way anymore. If you, if you like to compete and you, uh, always playing at a level above you is is fabulous you learn so much about yourself yeah. it's exciting and once you start to get comfortable with it man you can it, it's, it makes a huge difference in your game there's very few things more satisfying at least to me as a golfer than knowing that you've been in you know a pressure situation and 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 exceeded and and done well succeeded and gotten through it or also being in a present situation and not playing well and still having a good time. Yeah, and you go home in the car with your clubs in the car rather than dragging yes, it. Yes, exactly. Without a few of them in a creek somewhere. Or sparks flying. All right. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Check it out. And um, Humble, Humble and Fred Radio. Yeah. Go check, check that, that out. out. And check out our sponsor, TaylorMade Golf. Exactly. And, and check out what's her name. <laughs> Turn the page on Paige Paige the golfer And uh, we'll see you next week Competition in other places
the horns, they blowing that sound. 